Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to continue on in a series that we have been ministering entitled Views, God-Sized Perspective for Human-Sized Problems. Whenever I think about this human-sized problem, I'm reminded, as I often am, as you can probably detect and tell, I'm reminded by movies and I'm reminded by stories. um, And they give a great sense of illustration of of real human problems and pains. Narratives are just so powerful. And there was a story that I watched years ago of a father who had a son, and his son was stricken with an illness, an illness that was completely unexpected, an illness of the heart, a very serious pain and ailment. And this father takes his son naturally to the doctor. When he takes his son to the doctor, the doctors give him and his wife grave news. They say that your son has a heart defect and your son needs a heart transplant. Your son needs a new heart. It's filled with symbolism and imagery. But based upon the fact that his son needs a new heart, they had to perform a very difficult surgery. And that difficult surgery is obviously expensive. And so they looked at his health insurance plan and they said, your health insurance plan does not line up with the surgery that needs to happen for your son. And based upon the fact that your health insurance does not line up, we have to say, we cannot do the surgery until you have the money. Well, the father goes into fatherhood mode as any good father would, and he sells as much as he can. And he goes down to where they basically have nothing in the house. He, he does everything that he can possibly do in his power. And he's still coming up short. And his wife is telling him, you have to do something. You have to do something. You have to do something. And this father who is motivated by care and concern for his son, he takes a gun and goes down and holds the emergency room hostage, saying, I will hold everyone hostage until my son gets a necessary heart and is able to have that heart transplant because he says, my son is going to live. My son is going to live. Of course, the movie I'm talking about is John Q with one of our favorite actors, Denzel Washington. And as I was thinking about it, the reason why the father was pushed to desperation, the reason why the father felt as though he had no other recourse except to take a gun and go down and hold people hostage is because of this human-sized problem. I don't have enough. I want you to type that in the comments. I don't have enough. Have you ever not had enough? I'm not talking about not being enough. I'm not talking about the right opportunities. I'm not talking about anything intangible. Let's get real tangible today. Have you ever not had enough money? Have you ever not had enough provision? Have you ever realized that you had a lack of resources necessary for the vision that God had given you for your life? If that's you, hey, just wink at me. It's just you and me. You probably wouldn't even admit it in mixed company, but the reality is when it's just me and you, you can just wink at me. You can just wave at me. You can put one hand in the air, one finger in the air, Because all of us have entered into a space where we looked at our bank account or we looked at our resources and said, I do not have enough. It's a common human-sized problem. And so many people are dealing with it right now that the experts say that employment has gone, unemployment has gone through the roof, that millions upon millions of people have lost their jobs and have lost the opportunity to provide for their families. And it's leading to this sense, this panic that says, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And if you've ever been there, you recognize that it is a vulnerable, transparent position. It is a desperate position and place to be in. 
And God has something that he wants to say to this. Now, before I get into what God has to say to this, I just want to say just a couple of disclaimers here. Whenever we talk about money, I feel led to give these disclaimers, okay? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm a young preacher, and maybe some of you don't know me very well. Maybe you're tuning in, and you're like, here we go. It's another preacher that wants our money. Can I give a couple of disclaimers? First disclaimer is this. I'm not going to ask you to take a special offering today, to give a special offering. I'm not asking you to do that. So you can go ahead and breathe easy. You can let out the sweat under your armpits. You know, you can relax your shoulders. You can take a deep breath inside, unclench your jaw. If God leads you to do it, praise God. Let God use you. But I am not sent on assignment here today to get anything from you. That's not why I'm here. I'm not sent on an assignment today to challenge you to give a special offering. I want you to be led by God. There are other pastors and other situations where I may be led to do that. Nothing wrong with it. But the reality is that is not my assignment for today. My assignment for today is very simple. And before I give you my assignment, I, I want to give you the second disclaimer. I'm not going to be getting into all the important particulars of what it means to manage your finances well, what it means to manage your household budget well. There's so many different things. We can get into tithing. We, we can get into budgeting. We can get into investments. We can get into good stewardship. I totally understand all of that. That's not what I'm here and assigned to do today either. I'm not assigned to take anything extra from you. I'm also not assigned to, to be in this place where I'm giving you all the financial particulars that you need. But what I'm assigned to do is communicate God-sized perspective perspective for the human-sized problem of I don't have enough. You ready? The God-sized perspective for the human-sized problem of I don't have enough is God is a provider. I want you to type that in the comments. God is a provider. It's very simple, but the reality is many of us claim and confess things that we do not believe. Many of us claim and confess that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Many of us confess that he may not come when we want him to, but he's always on time. Many of us confess the fact that God is going to make a way where there is no way, but the reality is when it comes down to it, when we're in the middle of a situation where we feel like we throw our hands up and we say, God, I don't have enough, we start to forget the fact that God is a provider. We start to forget the fact that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We start to forget the fact that God has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory we forget the fact that our God is a provider. Once again, God is a provider. And sometimes we have to be brought to the desperate place. We have to be brought to the end of ourselves. We have to be brought to the place where we look around and say, I don't have enough to realize the God-sized perspective for that human-sized problem is very simple. God is a provider. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there is a woman who experiences a miraculous move of God. And this woman, I feel there are four things that we get from this story, four examples, and I'll try to actually give you four, okay, this time. I'll try not to cut off any points at the end. But there are actually four things that I believe God wants to communicate in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And I want to start at the top and read about seven verses here. So tune in, lock in with me here. It says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. 
Verse 4 says, Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Verse 5, So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Remember, we're talking about this human-sized perspective, this human-sized human problem. I don't have enough. The God-sized perspective is God is a provider. I see four things that we must do, four provision principles, if you will. Four things that we have to live into as we live into and believe the reality that God is a provider. The first is, we must, write this down, declare our desperation. We must declare our desperation. The, the first verse of 2 Kings chapter 4, it says that the wife of the sons of the prophets cries out to Elijah and says, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Scholars tell us that this woman, as a widow, was being lurked around by creditors, lurked around by people who had made arrangements perhaps with her husband, or perhaps that she had fallen behind on her bills. And there was a sense in which the widows are economically exploited. There is a sense in which even the law of God speaks to opportunities for widows and orphans to have a certain level of provision within the, the standard of the, of the nation of Israel. There was a certain way in which this was supposed to be handled, but the reality is the creditors now saw her as an easy target to exploit. And she goes to the prophet Elisha, and she says, hold up here, my husband is dead, and you know he was a man of God. So get this. She recognizes and leans into the fact that her husband was a man of great renown, that her husband was a man of great acclaim, that her husband was one who feared the Lord. And so she's coming and presenting a problem to Elisha and hear the problem behind the problem. Why is it that my husband was a follower of the Lord and now I'm being exploited? Why is it that my husband was struggling my husband was struggling based upon standing up for God, and now I'm in a place of desperation. Now I'm being exploited. Now it seems like people are out to get me. Have you ever been following God and looked around at your empty bank account or looked around at your lack of financial resources and said, hold up, wait a second here. God, why is this happening? Now I thought you said the wealth of the wicked was laid up for the righteous. I'm doing the right thing, God. I'm standing up for truth and righteousness and justice. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I've served you faithfully. I've loved you well. I've given to you. My children are following after you. And yet still, it seems like there is a place of desperation. Yet still, it seems like we are being economically exploited. Yet still, it seems like the creditors are lurking. And if you know anything about creditors, you know that they are ruthless. You know that creditors don't stop. You know that creditors are persistent, and it leads to this wariness, and it leads to this weariness, and it leads to you feeling as though you are being pressed in on every side, and you're looking and saying, God, why is it that I'm desperate in this place? Can I help you with something? Godly people can still struggle. Godly people can still struggle. Just because you are godly and following after the Lord does not mean that that gives you a free pass out of financial difficulty. 
And sometimes we need to hear this because we've taken prosperity to such a level and we've taken the provision of God to such an extreme that now we say, well, if you're struggling, you're not operating in the will of God. No, no, no. I can give you so many examples in the scriptures, so many examples in the word of God, the prophets of old, and also the heralds in the New Testament, the pastors and men and women of God who struggled in their financial resources, who struggled even though they were godly, who struggled even though they were anointed and appointed and gifted of God. And can I help you with something? God isn't pleased or displeased solely based on your financial position. There are some college students who need to hear that because you just got out of college and you're looking around and you're saying, how do I manage these bills for the first time? I have no safety net. I have nothing that I can lean on. And now a pandemic has hit. And now I'm looking around and saying, I must have done something wrong and I must have sinned. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Godly people can still struggle. But here's why it's so important. It's important for you to go to God with your desperation. Are you desperate today, church? It's important for you not to act cool, calm, and collected in the presence of God. It's important for you to be honest and cry out to God. You have to declare your desperation. This widow goes to Elisha and says, I need your help. I need God to show up and show out. And I think there's a few people who are honest enough to admit that I can't hold up a front anymore. I can't act dignified and sophisticated in the presence of God. No, in the presence of God, I may not show it to everybody else, but in the presence of God, I need to declare that I am desperate. I need to declare that I need God's help. I need to declare, God, bail me out, please. You have to declare your desperation. Godly people can still struggle. And just because you're struggling doesn't mean God is pleased or displeased with you. Might I remind you, I mentioned it last week, there are thousands of people who have many, many resources and much money and a fat bank account, and God is not pleased with them. Don't get into this American church binary. Don't get into this Western society idea that, oh, well, if you're well off, that means God is favoring you. And if you're not, that means God is displeased with you. That is a lie from the pit of hell itself. No, God wants you to declare your desperation, and it doesn't mean he's displeased with you. That's the first thing this woman had to do. She had to declare her desperation. Number two, look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Then he says, tell me, what have you in the house? What do you have? What is at your disposal? What is at your fingertips? The second point that I want to emphasize to you is not just declare your desperation, but number two, identify your inventory. Identify your inventory. Elisha looks at this woman and says, what can God work with? Don't miss that. What can God do? How can God move in your life? Notice what she says at the B clause of of 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 2. She says, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I don't really have that much. I just have a little bit of oil. Now, see, if you know anything about that culture, you know that oil is a commodity. Oil is very much so a commodity today. But we're talking about petroleum. We're talking about the oil that powers cars and ships and airplanes and vehicles. But the reality of the matter is oil, the oil that she had was actually a commodity because they would use it for certain things and it would be fat and it would be all kinds of things that could be a commodity and could be a financial resource in that, in that nation's economy. And, and, and Elisha says to her, and Elisha realizes in that moment, no, 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 you have way more than what you think you have. See, some of us have an accept mentality. I don't have anything except this. 
I don't really have that much except that. Yeah, 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 I, I know, I know. It's just, it's a little. It's just a little. I don't really have anything. I mean, I guess I do have something over here. See, that's that Jesse mentality. You see, Jesse was a father, and, and Samuel came to anoint the king, and he said the king is going to come from the house of Jesse. And Jesse rolls out all his sons, and Samuel looks at him and says, nah, it's not any of those. Do you have any other children? He says, no. Well, I mean, I guess I, I have, except. There's, there's, these are all the kids except for that one out tending the sheep. See, we have an accept mentality, but God likes to use the things that we think are invaluable. God likes to use the things that we think are worthless. God likes to use the things that we think don't even matter to him. I'm not even going to mention it. I'm just going to say, well, you know, I don't really have anything. And God is saying, watch this, desperation should not lead to denial. Desperation should not lead to denial. Just because you're desperate doesn't mean that you should deny what God has already blessed you with. You do have something. See, some of us have to, for, have to remember this fact. God created the world ex nihilo. That's what the scholars call out of nothing. But he blesses out of what he's already given to us. God created the world out of nothing, but he blesses what he's already given to us. So the desperation that you feel should not lead to you diminishing and denying what God has blessed you with. No, I may not be rich in money, but I'm rich in some things. I'm, I'm gifted in some things. I have some abilities. I have some, some things that can be turned into skills, some things that can be commodified. I have some things that I can use to make money. I can be an entrepreneur. I can do certain things. And sometimes I've been in this place where I've looked around and said, I don't have any money. And God says, yeah, but you got hands that can write. Yeah, you got a mouth that can speak. Yeah, you have a mind that can think. So why don't you let me use that to work for you? And, and, and Elisha says to this woman, no, you have something. You have some oil. And don't diminish it just because you're desperate. Someone needs to hear this because many of us think that in our moments of desperation that we are worthless. Many of us think that in our moments of desperation, we don't have anything to offer to God. Well, I guess God... I don't have anything. No, you have what God has already created you with. God created you from before the foundation of the world to have skills and abilities and talents and gifts that he would use for his kingdom and use for your good. No, you have something that's valuable. You have some oil. You have something that God can use to move and God can use to provide. Don't deny what you have. You have to identify your inventory. See, some of us, and I want to stay here for a second, some of us need to get out of this self-hating negative mentality. We have to get out of this negative self-talk. We have to stop looking around and diminishing what God has blessed us with. No, that is not the basis, as I said last week, of how God uses us. No, God is not leaning upon our strength solely alone by ourselves. But let me tell you something. You are valuable. You have skills. You have gifts. You have talents. I'm calling out some men who think that they've got to go through the conventional route of everything that the world tells you to do just to provide for your family or just to make a living or just to have an inheritance. No, take some inventory today of some special things that God has blessed you with and tell him to give you some ingenuity with your inventory. Tell him, God, give me some brand new ideas. Give me some God-sized dreams. Give me a perspective for my problem. Identify your inventory. But there's more here in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 3. Actually, in verse 4, take a look here. It says, then go in after you've gathered the pots. And shut the door behind yourself and your sons <laughs> and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. 
Okay, so I've talked about it. You have to declare your desperation, right? Then you have to identify your inventory. Number three, catch this, you have to pour in private. Pour in private. Can I encourage you with something, church? Everybody doesn't need to know the extent of your struggle. I, I know it's social media age, and I know it's a time when we feel so desperate, where we feel like, oh, okay, everything, we just have to put it out there. We have to tell people. Uh, can, I, can I encourage you to be careful? There are some things you're only supposed to deal with in private. There are some things you are only supposed to handle in the secret place. There are some things, the place where you pour, the place where you develop, the place where you cultivate, the place where you start to design things, the place where you start to pour yourself out, that's not a public place. That's a private place first. Elisha says to the widow, no, go in and close the door. Cut the social media off. Log out. Delete the apps from your phone. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb. Because some people, they want to see you pour in public so they can judge how you pour it. So they can judge all these things that God is going to do with you. Well, you know, if you would have poured like this, or if you would have said it like that, or if you would have incorporated the ideas that I thought. See, sometimes people want to give input because they want to get credit. I'm giving you some good stuff. Sometimes people want to give input because they want to get credit. They want to be the ones that you look to and said, oh, because sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, because they said it in my life, that's why God moved. No, no, no. Sometimes God needs to move in private where nobody can see, where no one can judge you, where no one can look around and say, I'm going to assess how good you're doing. No, God is the assessor of how good we're doing. God is the assessor of whether or not our dreams and our gifts are god ideas. Ideas, might I remind you that when Jesus is going to heal Jairus' daughter and raise her from the dead, what he does is he goes in and gets everyone out and shuts the door. <laughs> he shuts the door. Why? Because people don't need to see him work. No, I'll show you the evidence once it's raised from the dead. Once she's raised from the dead, she'll exit out of the room, and then you guys will marvel. But I need to do my best work in private. God does his best work when you pour in private. Someone needs to type that in the comments. God does his best work. Just type this in the comments. Pour in private. Pour in private. And some of us have been so discouraged and so beaten down and we're so insecure because we got to pour in public. We got to pour where it's seen. And God is saying, no, my gift is only operating and my gift is multiplied when you go in your secret place. Elisha says, no, grab your sons and go into a private room where nobody can see and pour in private. And when you pour in private, I'm going to anoint it and I'm going to cause it to multiply. Somebody else who didn't type it in the comments earlier, type it in the comments. Pour in private. There are some things that people don't need to see. There are some things that people don't need to assess. There are some dreams that people don't need to judge. Be careful who you show that you're struggling. Be careful who you show these ideas to. Because God wants to do something in private, just you and him. It obscures it. It obscures the relationship that God has with us when we allow people to be the ones who give us the input before we allow God to. Pour in private. I'm almost done here, but we talked about declaring your desperation, identifying your inventory, pouring in private. And number four is really interesting. It's very important. I want to go up, then go back down. Right before verse 4, Notice Elisha says to the widow, he says, go outside, 
borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty vessels. Catch this. Three-word phrase, very important. Not too few. And not too few. And then 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Skip down two verses. So she went from him and shut the door. She obeyed behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. She, she hit the DJ Khaled. She said, another one, another one, another one. And he said to her, there is not another one. Then the oil stopped flowing. I've talked about it. Declare your desperation. Identify your inventory. Pour in private. Number four, you ready? Expand your expectations. Expand your expectation. Someone type in the comments, expectation. Someone type in the comments, expectation. Can I help you with something today, church? I know what it looks like in the natural. I know what people are assessing in your finances. I know what it may seem like based upon your calculations. But we believe God for abundantly, not barely. We believe God for abundantly, not barely. We don't go to God with a small pot. We don't go to God with a shot glass. We don't go to God saying, fill me up only to this point. We go to God expecting, Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. We don't go to God just asking for crumbs from the table. We don't go to God, and I get this, I recognize, we're in, in a hyper sense of prosperity, we're trying to swing the pendulum back, and so what do we say? We say, God, I'm not going to ask for anything. No, my Bible says you have not because you ask not. <laughs> my Bible says, no, 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 no. Don't close your mouth when it should be open. Scare money don't make none. No, he's saying you need to come and declare the fact that you need exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think. Can I give you this? Write this down. There's enough oil for the pots that you bring. There's enough oil for however many pots you bring. So however much expectation you bring, that's how much God is going to fill it up. Imagine if the woman said, I'm just going to grab one pot or two pots because I'm going to look a little strange. And it's going to look like, you know what, why are you grabbing all these vessels? Why are you, why are you doing all this? You don't really have anything. Oh, you just need a pot? No, you need a little bit more than that. No, you need to do this. You need to go down and marry another man. You need to get a new trade. And no, God is saying, Imagine if this woman just decided to grab a couple of pots for, because of embarrassment and because she was nervous and because she was insecure. God says, grab as many pots as you can have and as many pots as you can bring. That's how much I'll feel. There's enough oil, church, for the pots that you bring. One person put it like this. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. When we were at our weakest point, that's when God can step in, show up, and show out. Can I give you a testimony here? I don't normally do this, but I'm going to be real vulnerable with you. I found out on the day before uh, Easter in 2017 that my wife was pregnant. I found out that she was pregnant with our first child, who is now Trinity, two years old, and I was so excited. And my excitement then quickly turned to a little bit of dread. Can I be honest with you as a father? As a new father, I started to feel a little bit dreadful. I started to feel a little bit concerned and nervous. And the reason I felt a little bit concerned and nervous is because my wife was working at a department store. She was an assistant manager. She was high up in the company. 
And even though she was high up in the company, they don't offer maternity leave. It was something that we had never even considered. They didn't offer any maternity leave. We thought, well, maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a way that we can get short-term disability. These are real things. I'm being real honest with you. We said maybe there's a chance that we can tide ourselves over on the time that she's going to spend raising our daughter into infanthood, about three months, 12 weeks. We looked around and said, maybe we can apply for this. She got denied for short-term disability because according to the company, you had to apply for it before you got pregnant. <laughs> so we're looking around and we're saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? And that excitement soon turned to a sense of, of dread. And I looked around and I was like, God, I don't know what to do. God, you got to come through. God, I don't know how these bills are going to work. We need a two-person uh, two income in this household. How many of y'all, you've ever been there? You're like, God, how are you going to make this work? My expectation was pretty low. I get a call in, in October. Our, our child is born in December. I get a call in October from someone who I'd done some work for. I'm a bivocational pastor. I don't just do this. I have jobs outside of this. I'm a freelance writer, many other things. And so someone reached out to me and said, hey, I need to hire someone for this job, and you were the first person that came to mind. Do you think there's any way that you could work on this? I said, well, you know, I'll see what I can do. And he sent me the contract. And get this, the contract that he sent me included the exact amount that was necessary the exact amount that was necessary for us to get through the time that we needed. Now, I know for a lot of people, they're like, "Woo, that's a great testimony. That's incredible. But the story doesn't stop there. You see, we like to talk about our testimonies. Can I get real with you? We don't like to talk about the times where we stewarded that testimony improperly. We don't like to talk about the times where the blessing ran out because we weren't doing the right thing. We don't like to talk. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be 1,000% transparent. I didn't know. I had never seen that much money in my life. I never had a comma in my bank account. Can I be real with you? I never had a comma in my bank account. I saw that comma. I said, oh, wow. Well, let me just do this. Let me do that. And the reality is the money that was supposed to be surplus, it eventually went into a deficit. Now, here's what happens in 2018. I find out after getting back from a trip in Africa, I find out that my wife is pregnant again. It's not something we planned. It's a little unexpected. And get this, church, my wife is working a job at the time, and the time I found out she is pregnant, two weeks later, she is laid off from her job. Did you hear me? Two weeks after, she is laid off from her job. And I remember when she came in and told me. All I did, it was about 7 o'clock at night, I said, I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to take a nap because I feel defeated. God, we messed up. We didn't steward the blessing properly. We didn't do the exact thing that you told us to do. So, God, I guess it's just a wrap for us. And so I decided to take a nap. When I wake up, I see a missed call. Mind you, this is the same day that she's laid off from her job. I wake up, and I see a missed call. I call the person back who's a friend of mine. He says, hey, I was having a conversation with someone, and your name came up. I was like, why did my name come up? He said, because I remember you told me you do this, this, and this on the side. I said, yeah, I do, but I don't really do it as much now. He said, are you willing to accept another contract and another project? I said, why don't you take it? He said, I can't do it like you can. 
I can't do it like you can do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to connect you to the person who asked me to do it, and I'm going to let you have that contract. On the same day that she was laid off from her job, I get all the provision that I need. And here's the shout point, church. Here's the shouting point when it comes to God being a provider. Here's the shouting point when it comes to the provision, even when it feels like we don't have enough. The amount of the contract that I received at that point was the same amount from the first contract that happened a year before. God was essentially saying the same God who's God over your first child going to be the same God over all your children. My God, that's a reason to clap. That's a reason to shout. If you can, will you enter into a little bit of celebration for me? Because what God is saying is just because you mismanage it, just because you're desperate, just because everything didn't go the way that you think it does, I'm still God and I'm still good. I'm still a provider. I'm still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And he's telling us, you got to expand your expectation. You got to think exceedingly abundantly. God, we serve, we serve the God church, not of barely. We serve the God of exceedingly abundantly bountiful blessings. And you got to expand what God is capable of doing. Don't go to God and ask for small. Go to God and ask for things that blow your mind, things that scare you, not for yourself, but because God is going to do something through you. God is going to do something in your life, in your finances, with your purpose that is going to Spread his name and make him glorified. That's how God does it. He uses even our weakness. He uses even our lack of opportunity. He uses even our limitations. And he glorifies his name. I feel that so strongly. Expand your expectation. The same God who provided before is going to be the same God who provides now. I want you to lift up your hands right now. Lift up your hands wherever you are. And I want to pray a prayer of financial blessing and increase on you. And if you're saying, Pastor, I'm doing great. I'm doing so well. Nothing's going wrong. If that's your testimony, praise God. I'm really excited for you. But I pray that you will still enter into this with solidarity and agreement with your brother and your sister. That you will say, hey, it may be great for me, but maybe it's not great for you. And I want to pray a prayer of blessing upon you right now. Father God, you are a good, good father. You are the God who provides. And God, I pray that there would be a sense of provision and hope and expectation that you will exceed even our highest markers of you. God, I pray that we would declare our desperation to you, that we wouldn't come to you with what we think you want to hear, but that we come to you honestly and admit. God, I pray that you would help us to identify our inventory. What is in our hands? What can we use? What can God, what can God multiply and cause to expand? God, I pray that you would help us to have the discipline to pour in private. And God, I pray that we would expand our expectations of you. You are not a limited God. You are not a God like us who operates in the arena of limitations. You are a supernatural provider. And so, God, right now, we ask that you would provide for your people. Bless the work of their hands. Expand them. Give them new territory. Give them new vistas. Give them new avenues. Give them new networks. May there not be a single person in this church who lacks. May there not be a single person in this church who has a deficit. And, God, we enter into a faith agreement with you. 
believing and saying that even though we may feel as though we don't have anything right now, God, you are going to exceed even our greatest expectations. We believe you. We trust you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Even when we don't have enough, you are still a provider. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I wanna give my life to you for real this time. I wanna follow you in everything that I say and I do, transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen, and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings, or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.